What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart, and this should be a really awesome show. We have new World Series champs, and if you're a Met fan like me, you can't be quite happy with who the, the victors are. The Washington Nationals uh, clinched their first World Series title in franchise history, beating the Houston Astros, becoming the only team to ever win four road games to win a, uh, a a World Series championship ever in the history of baseball, which is pretty uh, astonishing. Um, so we'll talk plenty about, about that series. We'll also have, uh, speaking of the Mets, they made big news this week uh, announcing the hire of their new manager, Carlos Beltran. We're doing the show hours after uh, Beltran was announced. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that and some of the other uh, baseball hires that we've seen happen across uh, across, across the country. And uh, some NBA stuff. The Warriors, man, they look really rough. We'll talk about them. We had a huge fight in the NBA. And uh, a major ruling in college sports. So this should be a really fun show. I'm excited to do it. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Uh, Kendall, we both do the show after the Knicks and Celtics uh, did battle tonight. Uh, the Celtics won on a game winner from Jason Tatum. I wanted to get your perspective. <laughs> what is that? Well, I was going to say that, that was a very similar story this time last year. Really? That happened last year too? Remember Friday night? Uh, this was in the Garden, but Celtics played the, the Knicks. And the first week of the season, Tatum, it wasn't a game winner, but it was game clincher. A game clincher or kind of a, a, a dagger kind of shot. Black jerseys, yeah. For whatever reason, that yeah. game is... At that point, people thought Jason Tatum was, was an all-star. And then other things happened and he fell off. But For whatever reason, that game is not coming to me, but it wouldn't surprise me that that happened. I mean, it's just Tatum the Knicks. So, like, the Knicks having devastating losses against the Celtics and against, really, most teams that you filter them out at this point. Yeah, it sounds about right uh, that that would have happened last year. Um, but what was your take on – I'll give my take on the Celtics, but I'm wonder, wondering, opposing – of course, if people who don't listen to this podcast, I'm the resident Knicks fan. He's the resident Celtics fan. Uh, so you got to see a good look at the Knicks. You saw them last week, but you got another look at them this week. They're one in five. What did you make of what you saw from them? And I'll give my take on the Celtics real quick. Yeah, um, the Knicks. I mean, look, they played hard. Um, they looked. I mean, they look like a, they're they're a real basketball team. Like there are some teams out there that you look at and you're like, man, this isn't a real basketball team. It's a college team. And I mean, I think we knew this year that the Knicks, I was always one where I was like, I don't think this team's going to compete for a playoff spot. Um, you know, people were saying they were going to win 40 games. And my thing was always, if they start off slow, which they are now, but if they're starting yeah, off, if they like, start off slow. Like mission accomplished. Right. I know, right. They're going to hit the tank button. So like, it's going to be hard for them to win 35 games because it's going to be either they win 20 or they win 40. But if you win 35, you win 38, that's a bad year. So I think they're going to be closer to the 20-something wins. R.D. Barrett is extremely better than I thought he was. You know, like, in terms of, you know, he's way more, uh, I don't know, his game is just way more, I want to say, it, it, he's way more mature of a basketball player than he was a Duke. You know, like, Duke, I don't know if it was because of Coach K, I don't know if it was because of Zion, but... He just seemed like he was playing a brand of basketball that just wasn't winning. It wasn't, you know, I, I don't know, it's because the comp level of competition was, like, so easy that he felt he can kind of do whatever he wanted. 
And because of that, it kind of looked like he wasn't playing the right brand of basketball. But like, he still has some 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 you know work, things to work on, obviously. But his jump shot's way better than I thought. Um, he's a mismatch for a lot of different opponents, you know. I, and I think teams still haven't guarded him like he's a star player yet, which has helped him. And like, but the fact that I'm even saying like, yo, just guard him like he's you know, throw like like the Celtics at the end of the game. We put Marcus Smart on him. Yeah, I think that we don't put know, Marcus Smart on on a guy like R.J. Barrett, a rookie. Right. <laughs> you know, in the, the last we put that dude. We the last game Marcus Smart was guarding Giannis all game, and he's guarding Julius Randle for most of the game. And then the last five minutes, Brad Stevens puts Smart on Barrett. That's the ultimate sign of respect. So, I mean, that kid's way better than I thought. But, um, yeah, no, nah, I mean the Knicks. They're not. I, I mean, they'll, they'll probably win. 20, 25 games this year. Um, and you just got to hope that uh, <laughs> you strike gold in the lottery. Yeah, RJ Barrett shot 5-17, and Kendall was still thoroughly impressed with him. That speaks to just how... He's a dangerous scorer, man. How dangerous he's been. And uh, he had some shots that went in and out that should have went down. Like he had a couple of tough breaks. That 5-17 could have easily been 8-17, where there was at least two or three shots that looked like they were going in and they didn't go in somehow. Um the Celtics are kind of an interesting team because their perimeter play is really good. When you talk about, uh, you know, Walker and Tatum are just, they're just a handful uh, as a tandem. They, they can end up being, I think, one of the more exciting tandems in the Eastern Conference. And Hayward, he's kind of the X factor, but I'm telling you, I have to tell you, man, he's starting to look a lot more like he the old really court Hayward, man. I mean, yeah. like if, 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 I, watching him this season, I wouldn't think that he broke his leg last year. Like, I haven't seen him look this smooth, this sharp in right. a long time. He's not as vertically explosive, but the way he moves on the court, it's, it's almost the exact same. And his skill level is probably improved. I guess the question I have with the Celtics is, when does that deal come for some kind of front court help? Because I don't think this team... I can take that seriously as an Eastern Conference contender until that happens. Because yeah. this guy Tice is playing way too many minutes. And he's giving them decent energy. He, you know, he's 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 a kind of a hustle guy. But, I mean, he, he played 27 minutes tonight. I, I just think that... And he gave them decent minutes. But I just think he has a, a very good teams. Now, that's not I mean, we didn't have formula. Cantor or Robert Williams in this game. But, like... I mean, I agree. I think you guys might have been. It might have did you guys a favor that Cantor didn't play because if he had to guard Julius Randle, maybe Randle wouldn't have had eight, a million turnovers. <laughs> however many turnovers he had, which seems to be a, a recurring theme with Julius Randle. Randle, why are Knicks fans down with Julius Randle? Have you watched Julius Randle? I know you watched him tonight. Have you watched him any other game? Because it's pretty clear. The guy's a walking. <laughs> yeah, I don't turn- watch the Knicks fan perspective. So I'm he's, not. He's a walking anything. turnover, and part of me is like. You know how you see a guy who's very talented struggle and you see, okay, but like we see, okay, he's struggling now, but when he gets it right, like it'll be fine. Like you, we've seen that before. Right, right, right. What's alarming about Randall is I don't see that silver lining. I, I assume it has to be there because this is a guy that produced such a high level last season, but he just looks easy to guard. I don't know if the Knicks are putting him in good positions. Um, I definitely think that maybe Fitz could be a little more creative with getting them easy baskets. But, I mean, one-on-one, I just I don't think he could beat anybody one-on-one. 
Like, his handle's not good enough. Uh, he doesn't see the floor well enough. So when, when he does beat his man, he ends up barreling into somebody. And, like, then those are 50-50 calls, whether or not they call it a charge or a block. You can't play your offense through Julius Randle. I think that's what we're learning. And I think what we've learned through the way Zion looked in preseason and the way Randle looked last year, I don't want to say that Randle's a fluke because I think he's a very good player, but Alvin Gentry's a heck of an offensive coach. I was about to say, at a certain point, we look, we we talked about a lot of players. Look how Brandon Ingram's looking. We talked about a lot of players who played under Mike D'Antoni and how once they left, you had to kind of be careful because Brad playing, under, playing under Mike D'Antoni, the guys are different. Brad Stevens also has that similar uh, moniker, so to speak. I think, I do feel like we kind of have to do the same thing maybe with Alvin Gentry because uh, Drew Holiday looked like just, I don't know, like a, like, how a, he had like an above year. average injury prone player until Gentry got there. And then right. now he looks like the, the all-star caliber guard that he is. Um, we saw Julius Randle just play at a level that I don't think that anyone thought he could play at after seeing him play with the Lakers. And he didn't play that bad with the Lakers, but he just – Look like a totally different guy, and we of course saw what Zion has done immediately, even in preseason. We seen Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram just looks like Brandon Ingram's a tricky one because, as you guys know, who's heard me talk about him on the show, I, I thought that he was on the cusp last year. Um, it seemed like as the season went on last year, as the Lakers started to just fall apart, he seemed to just be reaching levels that was scary. Um, I think. The, the Ingram supporters that were calling for him to be number one when he got drafted, like, they were too early on him. But what they thought he could be, he like, I thought he was at the end of last year. Like, pretty much why he was a dangerous player and why he could be a guy who could average 20, 25 points a game for a long time started to show itself. And now he's on a team where he's actually getting all the shots. And he's an excellent offensive coach. So I'm not sure if he's just a product of uh, – of, Gentry, but, but his development doesn't, doesn't hurt. You know, like, like his production is legitimate. Whether yeah, or not exactly. his development is because of Gentry or not, Gentry puts guys in spots to be very productive. Exactly. And again, like, none of these guys are scrubs. You know, like, Julius Randle's not a scrub, Ingram's not a scrub, Holly's not a scrub, AD, Zion. But, like, these guys, like, Ingram performing at a norm that we had never seen from him. Uh, Zion, obviously, <laughs> performing at an offensive you know, uh, peak that we have never seen from any rookie uh, or in a long time, at least for the preseason. Right. And what Randall did having a career year is, is something to it's something to look out for, you know. And we'll have to see, you know, Pelican fans obviously are very excited, I imagine, uh, even though they, I think, only have one win. But, um, but yeah, something to, something to pay attention to. But, no, yeah, this this Celtics team, they're just way more fun to watch than this, this, that team last year was, man. I mean, oh, yeah, they played way this tougher. Played they together, remind yeah. me of the team that we had with Isaiah Thomas. Mm. Like, Kemba Walker is way closer to Isaiah Thomas than Kyrie was. And Kyrie, I don't want to say Kyrie was better than Isaiah Thomas, because Isaiah Thomas was one MVP. But Kyrie was a great player in his own right. But he did nothing to uh, – not nothing to – energize the team in any way on the defensive side of the ball and neither really did it defensively but uh in terms of as a leader and look Kemba's a better leader 
and team guy than Isaiah Thomas was. Because even Isaiah Thomas had a, you know, kind of that that underdog kind of like, you know, you know that underdog complex of like, you know, yeah, you know, give me the ball and this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. But Kemba Walker, you know, as a leader, him and Smart and Tatum and Hayward, we haven't even had Brown. That game against Milwaukee is what, you know, really gave me confidence in this team more than even this game, obviously, against the Knicks that we almost lost. But um, I agree, though. They can't win at a high, the super high level without some sort of real center. But how are you going to get that guy? I mean, what I will say is, my last thing is, the way this team looks without Jalen Brown, obviously it's only two games, but when you beat the Milwaukee Bucks like that, you do wonder, like, I mean, we just gave him all this money, but if we traded Brown for, like, the way... we If we did end up trading Jalen Brown for, like, DeMontis Sabonis, like, with the way he's looked in pre, uh, early in the season, which has been, you know, 20 and 10, like, this team would... I would Then I would feel like this team could compete. You know? Like, if we had that... Or if we still had Al Horford or somebody. I saw someone say that... uh Jalen Brown was just Andrew Wiggins if he cut off his flat top. <laughs> well, now he doesn't have a flat top, so, yeah. Um, I think that was harsh, but... No, yeah, that's harsh. But he, I, play, he plays with way more passion than... Yeah. Uh, I, just that was a, I just thought that was a funny <laughs> line, so I just wanted to say it. I don't agree, <laughs> agree with it. Um, but, yeah, this, the Celtics are an interesting team. Um like part of me is like is is intrigued by the idea that if you could just have like hellacious one on one perimeter players in this NBA in the Eastern Conference that is good at the top but not like in like just impenetrable in terms of like the teams at the top being just like unbeatable. Like could like they upset someone and get farther than I expect. Like I wouldn't think this this team could do it. I still don't think they can do it because their front court is so bad. But if there's any NBA that they could do it, and if there's any group of guys, this might be the guy. So I think they're an interesting team to follow. I, I've, I've all season I've thought that the Celtics have kind of been a team that people have written off in terms of talking about the, the top half of the Eastern Conference as a team that just nobody really is looking at. I think that they're interesting, and I'm paying attention to them right now. I can't say that they're uh, ahead of Milwaukee or, or Philadelphia, but it's a long season, so we'll see how. Uh, the rest of it goes with them, but let's let's uh, we'll have more hoops talk in a minute. Let's talk quickly a little bit of baseball. So, the Washington Nationals, as I said earlier at the top of the show, they are our World Series champions. Four road wins um, against a team in the Astros that had a remarkable season, 107 wins. Everybody's talking about it, Kendall. Um, the decision to take out Zach Greinke in Game Seven. Did you think it was the right move? Uh, obviously, after he took out Granky, Granky had a uh, gave up a home run, gave up a walk. He goes to the bullpen. Uh, AJ Hinch, um, uh, Howie Kendrick comes up, takes the lead on the two run jack off the foul pole, and then it was off to the races for Washington. Granky, despite the kind of beginning of the inning, was a struggle. He was dominant uh, for almost the entire game. Did you think he pulled the plug too early with only eighty eight pitches at that time? Uh, look, it's very easy to play, you know, hindsight manager in baseball, especially when it comes to pitching decisions. Um, I understand pulling Granky. You know, I, I think at that point, 
you know, baseball, you know, it's game seven. That's a team game. You know, I understand some people say, look, that's Granky's game to win. That's Granky's game to lose. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not putting him in that class. Right. I, think, I mean, to me, like, to me, like, there are certain pitchers I'm putting in that class. Like, I, like the Mets, we, we live by the sword and die by the sword with Harvey in game five uh, going for a ninth inning. That, like, I, to me, Madison Bumgarner, the, 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 like dark the, night, the Dark Knight in 2015, yes, that is his game. I agree. Madison Bumgarner in his prime, that's his game. Granky's a, a very good to great pitcher. I don't think he's shown me, what's the word? In recent years, he hasn't shown me the kind of bulldog, kind of like, you know, you're going to have to kill me to take me off the mound type mentality that I'm leading him out there almost no matter what. He just doesn't. There are a certain level of pitcher that reaches that pinnacle. Um, to me, like, you know, if Scherzer's going well, Scherzer's that kind of guy. If, uh, you know, obviously Cole World's going well, Cole's like that. DeGrom's that kind of guy. There aren't a few guys to me in, in, in this sport that I'm putting that kind of onus on in a playoff game, everything on the line. Granky is good, but I think he's just short of that level. I agree with you on that. So... I don't, I don't, because of that, like, I don't feel, I mean, look, the guy gave a home run, you know, he had, he looked like he was, you know, vulnerable at that point. So for them to decide to pull him, I have no issue with that. I, I don't know. For me, I, I'm, I'm going to, to Gary Cole in that situation, in that situation. Um, I know you have trust in your relievers, um, I know you have, and again, I say it's a team game, so you, I mean, you gotta, you gotta trust all, all twenty-five guys. And I know that in that situation, you don't like to put starters in, you don't like to put starters coming out of the bullpen unless it's kind of a clean inning exactly. or a clean situation. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a little awkward to put him in with a guy on base and middle of the inning, and but I I don't know. I, you, you, that's one of those decisions where if you're A.J. Hinch, you have to realize if this doesn't work, you're going to get destroyed. And you don't always want to think like that, but you don't get destroyed for going to Garrett Cole in that situation. If Garrett Cole, if he chokes, that's on him. That's not on you, man. I, I, you're like, I went to my best pitcher. You know, a guy who's going to make $100, $200 million this offseason. I mean, I, I don't know. So that for me, I I would have went to Gary Cole. Um, I I don't blame AJ Hinch for this loss. Some people saying he's the worst manager in in baseball. I mean, people, some people saying he deserves to be fired. Yeah, come on now. You know, like for not putting Cole, that's not a point blank decision to me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's an. Obvious I, I I see your point in putting him in, but I don't think that's like. You know, like just like an obvious call, he he blew. I want to win with my best players. I want to win. I want to live or die for my for my best players. So if Garrett Cole is ready to pitch, I'm not gonna not go to him. And if the theory was you wanted to save him, I mean that's fine. But that's that's also very risky. I mean, it, Harris had been great in the postseason, except for the game before when he gave a home run. Uh, and perhaps that should have been a sign, maybe that yeah, the but it was the only run he gave up the whole postseason. So, I mean, that, again, so it's like, what am I not gonna? He had one bad game the last game. I'm not gonna go to him at all. He's he's been you know solid for me all season. Uh, he's been great for me all season. 
that that seems I don't know. I, I don't I, I think I just sometimes you got as you know Charlie Barkley says all the time, sometimes you gotta shake the other team's hand, man, and, and say hell of a job. Howie Kendrick was just Howie Kendrick, man. Just I, a monster. I found out this postseason Howie Kendrick was still in the in the league. <laughs> I was watching when he play up, you know, I was like Howie Kendrick? He didn't retire? No, Howie Kendrick's out here still mashing at age what thirty was it thirty six I heard all something like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, God bless yeah, him. Versus I mean, E man, they got the twenty ten All Stars man. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Zimmerman's out there. Ryan Zimmerman. <laughs> Ryan Zimmerman. I, I I think he might retire after this. I don't know. He kind of had to. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was shot in the series. <laughs> who would have? Yeah, yeah. He was shot playing in the series. Who would have predicted that Ryan Zimmerman would get one before David Wright? A, I mean, Dave Wright had some good cracks at the Apple too. No pun intended. Obviously, the Mets having an Apple in their stadium. You mean he had 2006, which I guess we'll get to when we talked about Beltran, and then he had 2015. And what was crazy about this World Series? I don't know if anyone else thought about. it. I'm sure people, especially national fans, probably thought about this. 2015, but but the the one thing, the first thing I thought about when Nationals won this World Series. I don't know about you. I know a lot of people probably jump to Harper, and Harper is an obvious thing to talk to think about and talk about, which I'm sure we will. But the first thing I thought about was, man, like when I started watching baseball, the Nationals were awful. I know. Like, I mean, they were an expansion team, but or they weren't. They weren't an expansion team. That's what made them so. That's why it was so crazy how bad they were. They were just a regular regular team. They just were trash. But they were just so pathetic. Yeah, (laughs) they had nothing going for them, and. To see them not winning a World Series is, is is incredible. Like, I mean, for years. I mean, that's why they got Strasburg. And they got Strasburg. They were bad for years before they got... That's why they got Ryan Zimmerman. But, like, they are... To, the fact that they, they turned that franchise around to the point where they're winning a World Series is... I don't know. I don't remember the last time I've read... That was the first thing I thought about when a franchise won a World Series. Is, wow. I remember when these guys were terrible. I mean, the Astros a couple years ago were kind of like that. I mean, well, the Astros were bad, but, like, I didn't look at the Astros as a franchise and say, like, this is a putrid organization. Right. Yeah, like, it's an organization that's The Astros were in the World Series. True. You know, they, they had Beltran and they had... Roger Clemens. You know, and... Yeah, they've had Jeff Bagwell and Kurt Biggio, Craig Biggio. So, like, you know, I don't look at them as a, you know, pathetic franchise. <laughs> but the Nationals, they don't have any history. Speaking of the old school Astros real quick... Uh... It was I was planning to bring it up on the show, but we do got to shout out, give an R.I.P. shout out to John Witherspoon, who passed away. Of course, actor, yeah. comedian, and I, can, I was watching a uh, old clip of John Witherspoon. I forgot what it's from, but he, he's talking about he's making the case for why all sports should have everyone just use steroids. <laughs> and he was like, and "This is I guess this is Roger Clemens still playing with the Astros." He was like, "Say Roger Clemens is forty something years old." Throwing the ba- throwing a baseball three hundred fifty miles an hour, that's a bad mother effort. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, imagine if they had steroids in hockey, they wouldn't be sliding, but they they pick up the puck and eat it. <laughs> and he was just saying the funniest lines, and you guys have never seen it. Definitely check it out. Um, and obviously, rest in peace to the legend John Witherspoon. But yeah, like the Astros, you're right. Like this, that they have been a pretty decent organization. Um. In the past, even though they hadn't won when they won, uh, like imagine the, Nationals, the, imagine the Rays won a won a won a World Series. Like yeah, that's something they got, they got close when they had Joe Madden, but they, they yeah, I mean yeah, they, yeah, that was squad. crazy when they were there. Like 
It's like, it's like the, if the Clippers ever won an NBA championship. Like, that would be... Yes, that would be the first thought. We was like, wow, this team is just the epitome of ineptitude. And they're like, there's no history of them winning. Like, the Expos have no history of winning. The only year it looked like they were going to win a World Series was a strike. And there was no World Series. Right. And then they were the Nationals, and they just been ter- They started off just awful. And then when they got good, they got the reputation of being choke artists. So... It wasn't a Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Especially, I think, I agree, I think thinking about someone, you're a little younger than me. So right, exactly. Younger, definitely... For me, like, growing up, they were awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, you know who is going to have a big decision to make? I guess maybe it won't be a big decision after what he did, but Steven Strasburg. I know he yeah. was pitching game seven, obviously, but he's got. You know, hundred million coming to him, but he can opt out. It might be a good time to yeah, he's gonna re up because that guy is serious. And it's so crazy, and it's so you know, obviously I'm a best fan, so I, I hate this team, but it is crazy to see a guy like Strasburg who had all of this hype. And he was that was another to, thing I thought about, but I'm glad you brought that up. He, I mean, he's supposed to be the next great pitcher. Um, yeah, Hall of Famer. Yes, surefire all of him. And his career has been like it's had its peaks and valleys. Um, I'm not not to say that he's been a bum by any stretch, but he hasn't necessarily been just like, not a bust, but not the guy he was necessarily hyped to be. No, but to see him in this postseason just looks so unhittable, uh, and to see his evolution as a pitcher. This is a guy who we looked at as only a thrower, really. And 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 how that was kind of hindering his growth and like how, you know, they had to bring in Scherzer to be that number one guy. I mean, they like the idea that, you know, six or seven years ago that Strasburg wouldn't be the number one guy for the national seems kind of crazy to, to would be crazy to me because of just what he was built to be and how nasty. At he one was point he wasn't the number two guy. Yeah, it, exactly. It yeah. And yeah. even this year they had Patrick Corbin who was right is, you know, you could argue he wasn't number two guy this year. Right. Um, this actually wasn't even Strasburg's. This might have been one of his worst seasons. It wasn't like he had a bad season, but his numbers were, you know, good, but not dominant. Uh, to see him turn it around the way he, he did and the way he pitched in this World Series, uh, he just does a, does a big shout out. That's, that, that's, a, that's a, a, you know, a big nod to perseverance. I mean, he had five wins in this postseason. San Diego State is the first school to have. NBA champion and a NBA Finals MVP and a World Series MVP in the same year. That's astonishing that that's never happened. It's crazy because like, I mean because it, it, you know you think big schools produce big time athletes so that at some point like there'd be a cross section where that the thing is like college baseball and basketball programs like are, are is there is very little overlap. In terms of like them being good, you know, um, I mean, there are some schools where they're just good at every sport, like Texas and Florida, Florida yeah, UCLA, you know, but, um, but there's not that much overlap, so, like, it's not, it's weird, it's just, it's still crazy though that look, San Diego State did it, so why can't UCLA, <laughs> why can't Florida, you know, it's random, but it's it's crazy. Ironically, I felt like after this series was over, the guy who was talked about the most uh, didn't play one inning in this series. 
but it was Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, do you feel like this World Series? I talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago, but do you feel like this World Series will now really, really possibly hurt other mega free agents and their value? In the open so that's not this is like your worst case scenario if you're like a Scott Boris. I mean, like, you know, the Washington Nationals, you know, could have spent three hundred million dollars plus on one guy. They said, you know, hit the road jack and <laughs> spent that money wisely on, you know, Patrick Corbin, other smaller pieces to kind of fill out their roster. And everyone still wrote them off. Everybody's like, This season is done. Yeah, they got some nice pieces, but they're Maybe they can compete for a wild card, but which they did, but they won't win a World Series or compete for a championship uh, pennant. And they showed that you can. And it's so funny because it's like how many more examples in baseball do we need of like teams not spending the huge, huge money and somehow at the end being the, la- being the last team standing right. to the point where why is any of these guys ever worth that money? Like who who would ever be worth that kind of money at this point in time when you see the kind this kind of thing happen? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, not where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to say, does this hurt Bryce Harper's legacy um, and his reputation? I don't uh, – I to answer that quick quick question before you answer my question, no, because I think baseball is too much of a team sport for me to believe that. I, I, I think that – So me, you don't think this will be part of Bryce Harper's story when he retired? Oh, well, that's different. I, I, that's, almost, that's almost a different question, but I guess in some ways it is kind of the same. I thought about it from my perspective. I think from the overall perspective, yes, this will hurt his legacy. From my perspective, right. it won't have any impact on his legacy. Again, I view baseball as one of the most ultimate team sports. I think baseball may be the most ultimate team sport. I don't think one guy can really win you a, win you a championship. Um, He'll believe, only be able to believe, believe me. The Mets would have won last the last two three years just with how the ground's been. So <laughs> that and that hasn't happened. So you need a lot of things to go right for you to be a World Series champion. He, I, I just think that I, I think and also the game is so much luck. Like I, I, I don't, I can't put that on him. Not me. He, I think other people. He's would. gonna have to win a World Series to shake that uh, shake that reputation, like. The way the same way Kershaw, like his playoff uh, debauchery, will will always be a part of his 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 legacy going forward until he wins. It's gonna be the same for Harper. It's gonna be the, oh yeah, he's the guy that was Washington's prodigal son that couldn't win there, left, and they immediately won there, and then he goes to Philly. And now I feel bad for him because only he's only a year in, and like. Every now, every year, that's going to be a conversation. And he's in like the worst city to like yeah, exactly. have this be, thing hanging oh. over him. If he was in L.A., San Francisco, he wouldn't care. He could almost honestly, besides New York, he could be in almost any city, and this wouldn't have any impact on him. Nope. But this is the one city that's going to remind him every day. In the division, couldn't be any worse. Yeah. I like agree. I if this were a team, if this were the. If he were a part of the Mariners and they won a World Series, it'd be a conversation, but they would forget. Yeah. But the Philly fans aren't going to forget about the Nationals winning a World Series without without Bryce Harper. No, and they shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. But uh, to answer your question about free agency, I the thing is, like, these teams are still – statistics and analytics still remain supreme. So while I think, I think precedent – 
precedent that the precedent that it sets is important. I, I still think that these teams are still going to use the same models and they're still going to run the same numbers that they normally do. And those numbers they come out to the best players are the best, give you the best chance to win. So if the owner is willing to pony up the money, they'll go after them. Um, it helps that baseball doesn't have a salary cap. So at the end of the day, one of these teams can always find the money. If they if there was a salary gap in baseball, I'd say, oh, this is going to kill these guys. But now these teams can really be smart about it. But if I were a GM, you know, I think this would this would change my philosophy maybe a little bit. But um, it also depends on the player. But it's gonna it's gonna help teams that lose players for sure, or you know, teams. Yeah, say, I think I think that team fan bases, you know, smart fan bases will will not lose their minds, I think, as much in the recent history. But Mookie Betts is still going to get a heck of a bag next offseason. Yeah, for sure. Somebody. And it may not be the Red Sox, um, but the Red Sox are going to be in that conversation. I don't think they're going to... I don't think they're going to be like, well, the Nationals won't go Bryce Harper, so we let Mookie Betts walk. But it is interesting, though. Like, this is a big market team in Washington that let this guy walk. And, like, you know, for example, a like guy like Mookie Betts, like what in like Washington didn't just pocket the money. I think that's what a lot of yeah. problems a lot of these other teams have. That they those guys bounce and then those teams just pocket the money. Right. Um, what if a team like Boston decided, okay, we're not going to sign Mookie Betts, but here's three other guys that are going to help fill our roster and we'll try to replace them with someone who's comparable or well, not comparable, but at least you know competent. Um, like you know, that move may be more well received in a place like Boston than that. Like that move never would have been well received ten years ago. Like the people would lose their minds after what happened this year. That might change. Um, staying in baseball, though, as I said earlier, the Mets have a new manager, and it's one of my all-time favorite Mets, Carlos Beltran. And for Mets fans, that may be surprising because so many fans inexplicably can't stand Beltran. Um, but he is the new Mets manager, so they're going to have to get used to it. It seemed to me all along that this was the guy that Mets wanted to hire. And when that happens, I generally feel good about the decision my team made. Uh, when you know when Now, I know this was a very long process that frustrated a lot of fans and frustrated a lot of people. But I like that the Mets were thorough. And to me, the fact that they were that thorough and still landed on the guy that was pretty much rumored from the beginning to be guy they really were interested in tells me a lot uh tells me that he wasn't he had to earn the job it wasn't just handed to him and he had to really impress him with uh three rounds of interviews which is not completely unheard of but usually after the second round like they get their guy the fact that he had to go through three tells me that the Mets were, were were doing their due diligence with this and I think that it's a great move I think that Carlos has shown uh the Yankees have just spoken so highly of him and, and just the little work he's done with them in their front office. Um, the Astros spoken highly of him during their World Series run with what he kind of brought to the team. He didn't really even play for them, but just the kind of leadership and the things he, he kind of taught the players during his time in Houston that season uh, was, it was extremely well-received uh, uh, well and, and, and they, they were gracious for it. Um, by all accounts, the guy is a... a a very bright baseball mind. Um, I think there is value to the fact that he's bilingual in this day and age and that you have a, a guy who can connect to 
the Latin players as well as the American players, obviously. I, I, and I think for, I know some people have kind of harped on the fact that the fans don't like him. I think the fact that he's a manager, I don't think it kind of matters that much that the fans don't really like him. Like, I, I, I don't think that that should hold weight in terms of who you're hiring as a manager. But he's turned out. <laughs> it's like Beltran's a weird. He's a like it all at the end of the day comes down to that strikeout. But it, it, it is more than that. Like if to, to give us Mets fans credit, or not us because I don't agree with these people, but to give Mets fans credit, it's you know the idea that he he never fully lived up to the 118 million dollar contract. He never ever played as well as he ever did. He never played as well as he did in that World Series run he had with the Houston Astros. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I personally always felt he got a bad rap. The guy made five all-star teams while playing for the Mets. He had three gold gloves. He was a just a bona fide star. You know, I mean, if he wasn't, he might not have been an MVP caliber guy, but he was a perennial all-star. He played a, a gold gloves caliber on the field. I don't know what more you can ask. So, you got that guy who has that kind of pedigree, who knows this generation of player and has already shown the ability to, to connect to this generation of player. And by front offices like the Yankees and Astros, who thinks very highly, who who are you know some of the best run organizations in, in in the in the game, and think very highly of him, I don't know how else you can really bash this move. The only thing I hear that I think is anywhere remotely credible is the idea that well he's a first year manager, which I get because Mickey Callaway was a first year manager and that guy was completely over in over his head, but. A first-year manager just won the World Series. So how are we going to really say that because oh, our guy didn't work, that the next guy wouldn't be any better? And I don't see how Buck Showalter is going to get me excited uh, based on what he's accomplished just because he's managed before. I, I, I thought Joe Girardi would have been an interesting choice, but I do kind of wonder if this team needs a guy who players typically don't like. I don't know. I think this team... This team played hard for Terry Collins, and they respected Terry Collins. And Terry Collins wasn't an unlikable manager. Like, I don't know if you need just to kind of, for lack of a term, the hard ass to like get these guys to play it up to their abilities. I think that Beltron could be exactly what this team needs. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's interesting because obviously, former Met, former player, uh, he seemed to be heading in this direction, so it's not a not a huge shock. Um, and his name made sense again, given his connection to the city, given his connection to the franchise. Um, I don't know what kind of managing chops Beltran has, uh, but he's always been a fairly smart guy. So I, I mean, I think this should work for the Mets. Um, you know, we we saw obviously the Phillies went out and got Joe Girardi, uh, which people are very excited about in Philadelphia. Because um, he Girardi is the exact opposite of what they had in Gabe Kapler. Kind of Kapler is kind of a I don't say he's an outsider, but he he's a he's a quirky quirky kind of personality. Yes, you yes. Know, he's, he's not a not your standard guy in, in terms of managing, in terms of decision-making, in terms of handling the media and stuff, so um, bringing somebody like like 
Girardi who's way more kind of I don't say ordinary, but you know, clear cut, you know, way more experienced. Like that'll that'll play well uh, in Philadelphia, given he's again he's such a stark contrast. And typically, that's what happens when you get rid of somebody, you go for somebody who's the antithesis of that. And that's maybe what we're saying with, the, with a lot of people are saying with the Mets, where it's like you, you bring Callaway who doesn't have that much experience, and you bring Beltron, who also doesn't have that much experience. But Beltron is going to command way more respect, I would imagine, because he's uh, a bigger name. And he's going to command, I think, way more respect from the fan base. But, I don't know, I could be wrong. Um, I don't know, he's not going to gain respect from the He's not going to garner respect from the fan base. That's not going to happen. He's going to have to earn that. Right, right. I, do, I agree with that. I think he's going to have to earn it. But, um, I don't know. I just think because Mickey Cowley is kind of just a guy, um, that 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 reputation and again I see, maybe, I see maybe, maybe, that, though. maybe it's not even the 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 hardcore fan base, but like like just the just pe- baseball people, you know, uh, the media. I don't, but um, also we saw the Cubs hire David Ross, yeah, uh, which would be very interesting because obviously he just won a World Series there. Been doing TV, uh, which the thing with Girardi and Ross is, is very clear, and it's always been clear that when you do TV in sports, you you, you sound really smart. So teams then want to hire you. So if if I were if if I were ever an agent for a fired coach, first thing I'll tell them is go on TV. Absolutely. If you really want to get a job back, go on yeah. TV because because it gives it gives the people it gives the team something that the fans can look to in terms of why they could be excited about their coach. Like if a guy is right. good on television and they like what he's hearing on television, like it, it, it's hard to sound dumb on television. Uh, some, I don't know about that. Well, I, I, say, there's not some people to, that not do to say it. that I work with anyone that sounds dumb, but I do work with people who work in television and it's not easy. That's what I would say. We, we, um, we, we, there are people, you know, there are, you know, sports people that we've seen, you know, f- former, coaches, former players that do sometimes not present themselves in the best light in terms of if they're trying to become a head coach or a GM. But if you're if if, if you're smart about it, it's not hard. But these guys, like a lot of them I would advise it because a lot of times they do end up with these jobs. But um but Ross should be an interesting. It's an interesting guy, dichotomy for a guy that just won a World Series with a lot of guys. Now is going to be their manager. I don't know if that's going to. I don't know how it's going to sit in the, the the organization in terms of the locker room, the clubhouse. But Rizzo spoken highly, very very highly of of Ross. I'm sure a lot of those guys have. So it should be interesting. And the, the Giants, speaking of Gabe Kapler, I've interviewed him multiple times. So he seems to fit what the Giants are wanted want to do more than what. The, more than direction what the Phillies were, were going. So. Not only does he kind of fit what the Giants want to do, but I think he also kind of fits the city way better than he fits Philly. Right, exactly. Uh, Philly, so, I think, was intrigued by him initially, but I think his quirkiness was like, once it wasn't resulting in wins, like they had enough of him. Um, I, think the, I think Joe Girardi is a much better casting in terms of personality. He can deal with a tough media core and deal with them with respect but sternness. Um, He's dealt with it before. And, and I know a lot of Mets fans wanted Girardi. I don't think he was necessarily the best fit for New York in terms of the Mets roster. I think he's an excellent fit for Philly. Philly absolutely 
needs that kind of kicking the behind yeah. coach. Like they're, they're I think they need the credibility. And they do need credibility in the locker room. There are a lot of talented star players who have not accomplished anything. And there was a, a notion that despite not accomplishing anything and having no one in there that's accomplished anything, that they could still rise above that, and they could not. I think Girardi comes in. Who's a, who, he's won a World Series. He's He's been deep into the postseason. He comes in, and he's won a World Championships as a player. He comes in with a level of credibility. And, and, and when people hear him speak, I think that they'll probably take it a little more seriously than they took Kapler. So I think that Girardi, I think, is a great fit for Philly. I, I'm not heartbroken that he wasn't the Mets manager. I, I think that the Mets didn't necessarily need that kind of guy. I think they needed... Um, they need a, just a sharper baseball mind, to be honest. I, I just thought, as you said, Henry Callaway to me was just a guy. Uh, I don't think that he wasn't too hard on the guys, too soft on the guys. I just think um, from a managerial X's and O's in-game management standpoint, the Mets were just outmatched <laughs> against a lot of teams. But at the same time, I also wonder if we're at a point in time where because these teams are essentially just running their team, running their franchises based off of spreadsheets, is it like is the manager even that big a deal? Like, you know, it's, it's it's only a few instances. Like, to me, like, a manager's, what's the word? A manager's, like, value really comes into play only in, like, what we saw this week in the Game 7 where Hinchess has decided, am I going to Cole or am I going to, um, to what's the name, Harris? Like, like that's the kind of, like, those, like that answer you're not going to get on a spreadsheet. Like that's more of a field thing. That's more of a, uh, you know, it, you know. That's it, it becomes a little different. It's an instinct. Right, it's an instinct. Um, or, you know, Dave Roberts desired, I ain't going to go to Kershaw. Even though we've seen this over and over again go wrong. Like, yes, he kind of went against the numbers, but he also knows that Kershaw is his, is his, is his bulldog. So, like, like, really, like, that's really what your manager's for. The other 162 games, like, it, they're just playing the numbers. And that's how they want these teams. To, that's how a lot of the teams want these guys to be managed. So... You know, the Yankees have been one of the few teams kind of resisting that a little bit, but they just got rid of uh, their pitching coach because he didn't want to play by those rules. The Yankees are slowly moving to that too, you know? Right. So it's, it's the game is the game is, is, is evolving and is very different. Um, but uh, let's, let's, let's talk some hoops now. So Steph Curry uh, broke his hand this week. He's out for, uh, I saw like two to three months, which is just... Three months right now. Three months. That's You just had surgery. Push him back to probably All Star break. I didn't. I just thought this would not be that long. Well, see, what's funny? Am I, am I like bugging that a broken hand shouldn't? When I heard that he months. broke his hand, someone asked me, "So how long are you supposed to be out?" This was the next day after he got hurt, and I said, "The first thing I said was, uh, I mean, it's probably a six to eight week injury, but he's not going. He's no way we're seeing him before the All Star break, right?" <laughs> so that would be around three months. That would be February. Um. Again, I they they say three months, and that's at that point that's when they'll reevaluate. So probably it could end up being longer than that. But it makes sense because I agree. I, I think if they were in the playoff race, this would be no more than a two month injury. But what's the point? We know how the team's going to look. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if this is a better team if he even gets surgery. Cause, I mean, have we seen? I don't. I mean, have we seen guys with broken bones and like not get what? surgery based on the situation? Like to me, like with the difference in this seems to be that he got surgery and therefore that makes this a longer recovery. Like I've problem. seen. Now this is a broken hand. It's not a broken wrist, but I've seen 
guys in the NFL throw footballs like in rehab like a week after they broke their wrist. So they're on their throwing hand. So it's not like it's not like we're wrestling fans here. Adam Cole is wrestling with a broken wrist right now. Right. I mean, that's pretty intensive. He's wearing a cast, but he's wrestling. Right. Now, Steph Curry is a shooter. Um, It is his left hand, but yeah. yeah. So he broke his left hand. I thought it was, I'm pretty sure it was his left hand. Somebody that thought it was right. But if it's his non shooting hand, yeah, he he, he could have easily elected not to to have surgery. That was kind of why I thought that he would be back. I was like, oh, well, it's left handly, so that will help. I, I I could be totally. So so what what's what's the deal with the Warriors? Because you were very much in the camp that they were going to be dangerous this year. Yes, I was. I was I was lukewarm. I was like, I don't think this team going to be terrible. I like, I thought they would be a playoff team, pretty pretty. I was easily, but pretty closely. I but I wasn't like confident that they were going to compete. So why 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 were they struggling and why is their season probably over at this point? Um, I think they're just not deep enough. Uh, I think I I definitely underestimated that with this team. They just you look at their roster, they just don't have the bodies. Uh, Jordan Poole is starting. Glenn Robinson is starting. Yeah, those, guys, those guys, those guys are starting. I'm not sure if I'd be comfortable with those guys playing rotation minutes on a playoff team. They're starting, right? Now, I know obviously Jordan Poole's starting because Curry's hurt, but still, like Len Robinson was starting Curry out there. So that and that's their <laughs> starting. He's the Durant replacement. Yeah, that's their starting lineup. So then you go to the bench, and you got Damian Lee. <laughs> no, he's on. Oh. The brother-in-law. Yeah, the brother-in-law. It's that Curry brother-in-law's game. <laughs> no, I don't mean to disrespect Damian Lee, but it is yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, like, it does, it does he's a real me. NBA player. Like This like, isn't a Chris Smith situation. Right, he is. Uh, for all Nick fans out there. But it is really kind of just crazy that, like, damn, the Warriors, things are so bad. They just threw Steph Curry brother-in-law out there. He's like, yo, give us, give us 20 minutes. <laughs> give us something. <laughs> I mean, Eric Pascal is a second-round pick. He's getting in a lot of minutes. Why did they go after Seth Curry? Um, I mean, I think they probably they probably they may have contacted him, but he would have been a great fit on this team. They needed the shooting. I don't know what their money situation was like. I That's assume true. it wasn't very good. They had to do a sign trade to get Russell. Yeah, they didn't bring so really. They, they, they wanted to bring back Looney. So yeah, I assume they don't. They didn't have the bread for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that the Warriors. The defense has been atrocious. The defense is really bad. Uh, the, clearly, to me, this is a team that their defense is, is reliant. Obviously, it, finally, for the people who don't understand Clay Thompson's value defensively, they're they're finally seeing it. Uh, it took it's sad it took this to happen because people who know basketball have been telling you this for a million years, and and also Kevin all Durant we get all we get is you know spreadsheets and all this other crap from analytics people, and it's like. You don't understand. This guy's an excellent defensive player. And you're right. Kevin Durant had also turned himself into um, a good to even, at times, great defensive player. Yeah, high-level defender. So you lose those two guys and you replace them with... Uh, and Iguodala. Yes, and Iguodala was a high-level defender. defender. So you replace them with rookies and guys who, you know, maybe athletic, but not necessarily, you know, don't know the system as well, don't know the rotations as well. Uh, and get, Russell. They're getting exposed. And yeah, DeAndre Russell's a bad defender, so... Yeah. This is going to be a long year. 
I mean, I, I it's kind of shocking that it's just over this quickly for them. But I think it is. Like, I know some people are saying, does it mean the season's over? Yeah. I, there's no – I don't see how the Warriors stay afloat here. Um, Teams have already made in calls to, for D'Angelo Russell, which I'm like, I he's saw, not I saw, eligible to get traded until, like, December. But I've seen uh, people make the case that the Knicks should call about D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. That would probably cost them – uh, I would imagine that was Kazim from from Wee Day, by the way, who made that call from a lot of stuff, S and Y, and your post, a bunch of stuff. But I wanted to give him his proper shout out. He was the first person I saw. I want to say that would cost him a first round pick this year. This Whatever. year's first round pick, you can't do that trade. Like, let's say that that let's say you make that trade in November, or not November, you can't. But let's say you make that in January, early January, New Year's. Um. That point, Knicks are probably one of the bottom six, seven teams in the league. Could be worse, but you make that trade. I'm, Let's I, say I, you I can't can, make that if trade. If your team starts playing good basketball, you can get up to nine or ten. And now you're saying I'm trading tenth pick. I can't trade a lottery. I I like Russell, but I can't trade like lottery picks to me are way more valuable now with the lottery being such a crapshoot. Right, and so, just the so way rookie, even being ninth or tenth might be me. You giving up the number one pick, and I can't do that for D'Angelo Russell. And, and just the way rookies have been able to contribute, like exactly having that guy on a cheap deal is way more like Tyler Hero being the thirteenth pick and making like dirt cheap money for the next four years. He's like Miami's second best player already. Yeah, exactly. The Miami Heat, a whole another storyline, <laughs> having. Two rookie guards, like their best players, yeah. including one. And like, they're, they're two of the most like unlikely. Yeah, undrafted dude from Oakland, <laughs> Oakland College, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not Oakland, California, and <laughs> and Tyler Hero, a kid that got had that very little draft buzz, um, on a team that is a veteran team. Like it's not like we were talking about some scrub team. Like they have guys that that have played in the playoffs, guys that have, you know, won games. I mean, Jimmy Butler, who's just coming back, you know, from his, you know, having a kid, but um, it's that's that's a wild story. But now this this Warriors team and Kendrick Nunn was on the Warriors uh, just last year. Yeah, he was on there. He was on their assembly team. I saw. Yeah, so um, I saw someone. It's, it shows you how how bad people get confused by uh, the whole what's the situation with the whole Oakland College thing. Because I saw someone right. tweet that you know. You know, Bob Myers had uh, Kendrick Nunn on the summer league team, kid from the Bay, and just let him walk. Like, <laughs> hey, Kendrick Young from Chicago. I, know, I was like, I'm pretty Kendrick sure Kendrick Young, is, Kendrick Nunn is from the South Side. I don't know what, I, but I was like, whatever. I just kept moving on. And then when you reminded me that he was at Oakland College, I'm like, oh, wow. Like that guy just didn't do any kind of like, <laughs> like he did the bare minimum when it came to doing his research. Okay. For firing off that tweet, <laughs> like this kid from the Bay Area, <laughs> he let him walk. I mean, look, look, there are probably a lot of articles that just say you know Kendrick Nunn undrafted out of Oakland, and it's very easy to read that out as he's from Oakland, California. But Kendrick Nunn yeah. played like a dude from Chicago. He like he, like some guys. Yeah. I don't gotta even look where they're from. <laughs> like you can watch where they play, and you're like, yeah, that guy I've never seen Chicago. a guard from Chicago shoot like Kendrick Nunn. Tell you that much. That is true. You don't see. Well, no, no, don't, 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 don't uh, disrespect my man, uh, uh, Bell. 
Zach Novell's got a ratchet. Who are you going for Iman Shumpert? Uh, <laughs> no, Iman Shumpert is not going to be the first guy I think about when I talk about uh, steady jump shooting. It, so the one thing about Kendrick Nunn, people are talking about, you know, because, I mean, right now, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, R.J. Barrett's up there for rookie year as well, but he has to be the the, the, the leader right now. He has to be. I know, and, and a lot of people don't want it to be, want him to be, like, everywhere he's but like, avoid, people are like, People are like, look, you know, keep the same energy you guys had for, for Simmons and Embiid with Kendrick Nunn because he's 24, <laughs> and he was in the G League last year. But I don't care. Ben Simmons the number one pick in the draft. Kendrick Nunn's one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference. There's no yeah, he's been one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference, and he was undrafted. Like, this is – I don't care if he's 24 years old. This is still <laughs> a crazy story. Of course, yeah. Ben no. Simmons doing it. You know, he's sitting out a whole year. Number one pick in the draft, like, I mean, yeah, he got rookie of the year. I mean, I would have given it to Mitchell, but I wasn't complaining. But I'm not going to complain that a 24 – it doesn't take away from R.J. Barrett. It doesn't mean he's not a great player. You know, it doesn't take away from whoever else is in the conversation. But, yeah, nah. As crazy as Kendrick Nunn, as crazy as Kendrick Nunn thing is, I'm going to sound wild here. I'm not that surprised he's playing this well. I mean, we saw him in the summer league. Kendall, we saw him at the summer league. He he looked like he should not be playing in the summer league. Like Tyler, like we 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 all we did was rave about Tyler Hero, but like when we were watching those games, we also were like, "This kid Kendrick Nunn's really good." Like like look, like, look at the numbers. Like, he looked like a professional. Like he looked like he didn't deserve to be out there. Like I didn't I like, didn't think anything of it because like it's I, the summer league. We we, we we watched the summer league for so many years, and there's always one guy that like there's one D league guy that like looks really good. And then he ends up getting a contract, and then, like, you know, he's a good backup. Dwight Bikes are one of these guys. But, like, he's done it, and then done it in the NBA. I mean, and it's thoroughly impressive. I I can't speak to how long it's going to happen, but. That's the thing. Can, the kid is going to be an all-star. Good in this, as crazy as that sounds. I'm going to say no. He's not going to be in the all-star game. Because, like, he's shooting 48% from three. I can't imagine that's going to continue. Right. Eventually, I think Jimmy Butler will assert himself as the best player on that team. Or, or, or just assert himself. <laughs> right. 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 He, might have to assert he will certainly assert himself. Yeah. Whether or not he will play the best player <laughs> team or not. There's no big question. Yeah, at a certain point, he's going to be like, yeah, where'd you go to school? Yeah, you know, give, give me the ball. Yeah, at a certain point, uh, he's like, look, I, I didn't come to South Beach just to, you know, watch some undrafted guy take all the shots. And certain, and, you know, and, and, and the kid from Kentucky take all the shots. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get mine. So, yeah, Jimmy Butler at some point will indeed assert himself, and that will hurt Kendrick Nunn's numbers. But I, again, I, I'm not. I, I'm. I know people probably think I'm lying. I'm BSing. I'm not surprised that Kendrick Nunn is playing this well. I'm not. Now, if he plays this well up until the All Star break, that would be surprising. But the fact he's going out and having big games, he's got great skills. And I've always said, if you if you have really good skills, you're always going to have a chance. Now, it comes to confidence, comes to coaching, comes to a lot of different things can factor into how good you end up being. But especially guards. Like, if you're a guard, you got great skills. It's kind of, especially in this NBA, it's like, it's tailor-made for you to just show out. Another Nobody plays defense. It's hard to play defense because if you do, they'll call a foul. You can travel. I mean, it's like, it's... It's, it's, it's the best time of the, uh, the ever to be a guard in this a scoring guard in this league. So this he's kid's another, a scoring guard. He's another example of one. 
all these guys don't have to come out early or come out of straight out of high school or whatever they want to do. But he's also an example of like you don't have to go to the mid you don't have to go to the major school if it's not the right fit. Like we saw someone like Isaiah Washington didn't work him going to Minnesota. You know, he's he's a he wasn't a scrub, but now he's at Iona. I don't know what he's gonna do, but he is a much better fit. You know, Kendrick Nunn was a solid player at Illinois. Um, got kicked out of school. A whole nother conversation. But resurfaced at Oakland in terms of into an NBA player. Didn't get drafted, but was in college for four or five years. Ended up now an NBA player. And now, I mean, I want to say an NBA star, but, you know, it's been <laughs> had the best start to a career for a Miami Heat player ever. Like, including LeBron and D-Wade and any player that ever joined the Miami Heat. So, I mean, props props to him. Um, Real quick on the Warriors, though. Yeah. Do they... So, they're going to tank. Yes. Do they turn that chip into... Are they just going to go with this? You think they're going to go to the, the standard rebuild? Or are they going to... Wait in the wing. Are they gonna? They're gonna wait in the background until the next star player becomes available. Then you have D'Angelo Russell. You have a top five pick. Yeah, no, they will not. They will not. Whoever they draft is not going to play for the Warriors. I'm gonna say that today on October, November thirty, November first. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Because given Curry and Draymond's timeline, adding James Wiseman to that team doesn't exactly. Doesn't I mean, it helps them, but. Yeah, you know, like is say if it is someone like Wiseman and Russell, you could probably pick your disgruntled star. Somebody's taking that package. Yeah, if it's a top three pick, you got Russell signed for three three long years and a top five pick with the caliber of someone like James Wiseman. Pick whatever disgruntled star that isn't going anywhere, Devin Booker, whoever. Like pick him. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a warrior. And that would be the smart thing to do. This is not a team that, when you're that, when you're a team that's you know trying to hang on, like they're trying, they're trying, to, they're at the point of their careers where they're trying to hang on to that top status. Like, you know, it's kind of weird. We look at these franchises, and I love, you know, I love going down the rabbit hole basketball reference and just seeing like great teams and how they just all of a sudden they're just they were there and all of a sudden they're just not and. The Warriors, to me, with the way the season's gone and now having guys having to come back from injuries, they're getting dangerously close to being that team that was like the it team to just being just another franchise. They're they're not that they're not as far off as maybe I expected. Maybe a lot of other people did because a lot of people didn't think highly of them. But some like you like you look at what the run the Detroit Pistons had going to all those straight conference finals in the mid two thousands, and then. They just stopped going to them. Ben Wiles left, and then they were just really old, and then it was over. And, you know, Larry Bird and, and the Celtics in the 80s, they were going to the conference finals, finals almost every year. It started to break down. Pistons started to get better. Other teams started to get better. And all of a sudden, they weren't in the conference finals and competing for championships. And a lot of those teams, you know, the, the, the Celtics kind of had the issue with, of course, Lynn Bias's death. Um, that kind of that should have been there to help them out, but in this day and age with the, with the Warriors, like 
those guys all in their primes, but they're at the end of their primes. So it's going to be incumbent upon them to to get some other big piece to help them get get one more run at it. It would be really cool. Like so I, I, the only reason I said James Wiseman is because he be he's the perfect fit in terms of they've already had a young player. Like they need a a five man desperately that like can do something. They haven't had one <laughs> really since what you know. Uh, Alton Lister, <laughs> he couldn't do anything. Either. Um, but like the the franchise has has not had a, a great center in a long time. So, no. you know, and given the way the draft is laying out, a lot of point guards, you know, necessarily need one. A lot of you know, Anthony Edwards also is a two guard. You know, it would make sense if they're going to tank to target James Wiseman, but um, long way told you. Absolutely. And it's we don't even know who the top guys are going to be. Who's to say yeah. a Jamie Daniels doesn't all of a sudden make yeah. Yeah, that's the, wing, the wing kind of guy that to replace Kevin Durant that they need? Because I would I would argue they need that. Like they need that like one on one scorer, right? Besides Steph, that could that could uh, that could help them out. Um, Ken, I've never seen two guys look worse in terms of just clownish behavior after a fight <laughs> than Cat and Joel Embiid. Uh, I mean, they, I, they. I would say they just. I'm I, like they both. Look, I would say Ben Wallace and Ron Artest. <laughs> ben Wallace and oh, <laughs> yo, <laughs> I was I was, I was, a, I was the first about to say Ben Wallace and Ron Artest had a fight. But <laughs> what? I know that that almost came out of my mouth. Then I I stopped myself, but I had the honesty to at least mention that I almost said something completely egregious. Really, how far we've gotten with those guys? But it, it is important to note though that. It really never became a fight between Ben Wallace and Ron Ortiz. It really wasn't, yeah. It just, it came, it was a scuffle. And you could argue maybe the cat, it beat things a scuffle. But it was a kind of a scuffle that Ortiz didn't really engage in. That <laughs> turned into a riot. <laughs> so, in fairness to me, I think calling the mouths of the pals a Ben Wallace-Ron Ortiz fight is a little misleading. Hence, I just, why, I, well, hence why I was I, a little confused. I, well, I would say... Yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. I, I was just saying those guys look like clowns. Yes, the, yes, they they also look like clowns. <laughs> ben Wallace causing a, uh, an all-out you know international incident <laughs> over <laughs> over a, a losing a basketball game. Over a, a not even hard playoff file. Like yeah, like, that, yeah, like that, yeah. that that file was in the playoffs. You just take the ball out. Like in in that day and age, like nobody would even like it wouldn't be no fight. It wouldn't be no scuffle. You'd be like, all right, side out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Ben Wallace went crazy over a file in like November. The, there's so many <laughs> weird things about the mouth of the palace. It's a shame that we've never gotten the the full on documentary of that. But it's a whole nother. Yeah, what's that about? How is that? Not I think the NBA is covering it up, man. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. I don't. I don't think they would ever greenlight it. I think you're probably right about that because the NBA, ESPN would be have to do it for thirty for thirty and. NBA has a massive deal. If someone's really going to do it, it has to be like Showtime or HBO or somebody. Like somebody doesn't have a deal with the NBA. But what's the incentive for them? Yeah. And I, it was weird as I feel like the parties at hand would be very open to speaking about it. Like, yeah, they think, would. They I, do like not. Ron Artest and Steven Jackson and, and Ben Wallace, those guys would not speak about it. Yeah, no. Nah. It's totally. David Stern would probably speak about it also. Yeah, because he, yeah, he likes to hear himself talk. I love yeah, David Stern. He's retired. He's got to take keep it in one hundred. He he likes to hear himself talk. 
So, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think that's a conspiracy theory that's not too conspiracy, so to speak. I think that that's probably what's happening. That's why we haven't seen that. Because there's no reason why we haven't seen that. Because it's been more than 10 years. It's been longer than that. It's probably getting closer. We're probably closer to the 15-year mark if we haven't gotten that there already. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get it for 20, but like that seems a long time to not have any mouth at the palace. Yeah, content. now people have forgotten about it. which To the point where, again, I almost... Perfect time to drop one. I didn't know. I almost didn't know what you were saying when you said Aron Tess Ben Wallace fight. But no, this. I just don't. I don't know. For me, I just don't understand why these guys think that we're supposed to believe that they're like tough guys that want to fight people and like like the social media Twitter fingers. Like it's just it's just like I don't know what it is, but to me, like this like irritated me the most of all the things Embiid has engaged in. Like, it just looked like two high schoolers who don't know how to insult each other with any intelligence. So they're like, oh, you were ish, and oh, you were this. It's like, <laughs> like I, I was raised around lions. Yeah, it's like, come on, fam. Get out of here, cat. <laughs> I'm laughing Joel and B was not raised around lions. Why is he lying to us? No, yeah. pun, no pun intended. That was a, that was a, that was a bar. <laughs> but he—that he, is not—that is—that is a lie. Like, why do he think that that? Why? Like, there, are, Joel and B was not raised by lions. We all know that. And a lion is a cat, so I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know. It just seemed—it just <laughs> seemed so juvenile in a way that was just not entertaining. I know a lot of people were loving it. The fight. Was fine. I thought that was entertaining um, to see two star players who clearly don't like each other finally just say had enough. We're just gonna not even fight, but whatever they did, Russell they scrap, scrap yeah. or whatever. They they decided they were they were they were fine with getting themselves ejected and suspended because they hate each other that much. And I do think there is true animosity, which that is great. How, how they channeled the animosity post altercation, it could not have been more ridiculous and. I don't know. I, I found I found I found both of them very hard to root for. I mean, Embiid's even more hard to root for because he's the more loudmouth one. But yeah, it, it was just a, ter- it was just a bad situation all around. Embiid came out of that looking better from like a, a I want to say national standpoint, but like oh yeah, from a national standpoint, Embiid came out looking better because team blew out the the T Wolves. He really didn't wasn't the one that it started it. And he kind of, I don't say won, but you know he got out of it pretty quick. While Towns ended up in a Simmons headlock, <laughs> which <laughs> where Simmons learned that, uh, you know he must have been wrestling some kangaroos or something out in Australia. But <laughs> he was raised, he was raised by kangaroos. He was raised by kangaroos. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> but um, so MB came out looking better from that perspective. But I, you know, I I don't know. Like for me. Towns, I like. I personally like felt for Towns in that situation because like Embiid, somebody that I don't want to say it's like, like, like you can't. Towns, I look at what he what he did and it's like, all right. I don't look at Carl Anthony Towns as an aggressor in most situations. He's not a hothead, you know. He's not fighting. He's not. He's not a likes to fight guy. No. So, you know, like. 
if he's doing that, it means Embiid has really gotten under his skin, which, look, credit to Embiid. That's what he was trying to do. That's what he's been trying to do for the last year. <laughs> you won, I guess. <laughs> you both got suspended for two games. But, like, I look at Embiid, I'm like, is this really, again, was it worth it? Like, this was all this, all the mind games that you've been playing, the, the rent-free nonsense that you've been talking about, Carly Towns, and every center in the league that you don't like in the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference, whoever, Sean Whiteside, Andre Drummond, all these guys. Is all this worth it? Like you're you're supposed to be better than these guys, and you, why are you why are you even putting yourself to like yeah. engage with guys like Hassan White and Andre Drummond? You know, Carl Anthony Towns is a great player. He's a rival, I would imagine, but it's like again, it's just not even worth it. You're trying to take your game to the next level. You're talking about you know being focused and being championship ready, and you're doing stuff like this. Um, what I really want to talk about, though, is that, look, these guys got two-game suspensions, which, to me, I understand, look, the NBA season's pretty long, um, but these and, and these guys are great players. You really don't want to affect the season too greatly over a scuffle like this, but I don't know the, the precedent it sets. I don't know if it sets the right precedent because Jay Crowder put out a very interesting tweet that... <laughs> Really shed the light on the precedent that it sets. That it sets. Uh, that I'm sure the NBA will not like, and I don't know if they'll find him for that. But he he tweeted something along the lines of two games for a couple of <laughs> to get a couple to get a couple of punches thrown in them. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> something like that. Um, like, yeah, because Carlton Towns threw punches. They were in close range, but they were punches. They didn't yeah, land, they got, but they were punches. Throwing punches and started a, a almost a bench clearing brawl, like. Yeah, I was we can have that every, like there are gonna be guys that say to themselves like, only two games for that. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll game. Yeah, I'll, yeah, that's only two game checks. But I get to finally knock out the dude that I've been itching to knock out for for months. Right. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe look, maybe I'm undervaluing the the two game check. I mean, that's a lot of money probably, but it's just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. I five, but yeah, I, I agree. I thought that the two games would definitely, the, you know. That was definitely the superstar call, so to speak. That's a superstar call, man. Yeah, That's Amir Johnson and, and Anthony Tolliver. They're getting five games. <laughs> I agree. Um, I agree with that 100%. I think this is a good time to quickly talk about uh, the fact that, uh, yo, man, NCAA, NCAA football and college hoops, man, they right around the corner. They got to be. Oh, EA Sports and 2K are uh, they're, they're already in the, the sweatshop, <laughs> you know, churning out. Yeah, 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 day that day is here. Um, as you guys don't know, what we're talking about the NCAA ruled that uh, starting in twenty twenty one, college athletes can now profit off of their likeness and accept money for merchandise. So it's a very groundbreaking, just a great groundbreaking decision. But the NCAA kind of had no choice with the California ruling making it so that you know you couldn't stop. You know, athletes from seeking money off of their off their likenesses and off their you know athletic prowess, and this is that. You mean, you mean to say the NCAA wasn't uh wasn't ahead of the curve on this one? Uh, no, they were not ahead of the curve on this one, <laughs> and um, and and they were reactionary, but they did something, and I think that it it's it is sad. I think you you know asking me were they ahead of the curve? It is to be sad and ridiculous that it took this long. 
to get to this point. Because... And they essentially had to be forced. Yeah, this. I mean, forced this, or... this, this was their only avenue to save college sports as we know it. To me, I, I thought that this was the way this was playing out. It was playing out to be so grave that the only way to make this remotely to remotely keep college sports the way it is would be to finally do this. It's awesome that they did, but I'm, I'm the NCAA has been just so slow to to work. I'm actually still surprised that they actually did pull the trigger on it. So fast and so like, like underground. Like they just dropped this. The NCAA is pretty good for that. Yeah, I like, didn't even know there was a panel looking at this. Like credit to them. Like they keep things in house fairly smoothly. Like this isn't the first time they've enacted things. That I'm like, I didn't know about this. Right. So, um. But this is a proposal that I've talked about in this show for years. Yes, you have. You know, I've always said, you know, I don't know anything about stipends or player checks and compensation. But what I do know is that there is no reason why guys shouldn't be allowed to profit off their own likeness the same way that Olympic athletes can. It's the easiest way. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about, you know, how you're going to pay the women's team as much as the men's team or how you're going to pay the 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 basketball player as much as you're paying the golfer let them make it a free-for-all let them get whatever their value full-on capitalism yeah full-on capitalism like who's gonna argue with that now obviously there's always there's always a debate to everything because that's society so now the conversation is be i i thought that that was a debate-free proposal but now the 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 quote-unquote issue is that um, from some people, uh, that, well, now you're going to have, well, one is going to be the, I'm not going to say who, but there, there've been some, some high profile, uh, individuals, you know, I'll say politicians that have come out and said, you know, I don't want, I don't want some, some, some athletes driving up in Ferraris and some, you know, having trouble making ends meet. Yes. That was Mitt Romney who, by the way, has a, <laughs> by the way, way by the way, he has a, he has a car elevator. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure many people, many of his constituents in Utah, don't car elevator, but he's not complaining about the fact that he has he gets to drive right, 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 right. Maseratis like, around his, uh, you know, the peons of, of his constituents, but for college athletes, oh no. Also, right. he's also acting it's as if they are. Like, he, he's insane, by the way. He, we we know he's lying, but he it's insane to think that there aren't rich kids on college campuses. Right. That's that, the, that was the point. Driving I mean, Ferraris. Exactly. Like, like, are you have you have you been to a, a high school in? A lot of, a lot of, in every state, there's there's going to be a high school or probably multiple high schools where there are going to be some kids that are well off that are showing up to to, to their regular 8 a.m. class in a BMW and some that have to take the school bus because they can't afford a car. You know, like, it's, it's, like you said, it's capitalism. You know, like, it's unfortunate, but, like... It's not be it's, it's not for no reason, and these guys can't be for capitalism when they want to. But then when Zion Williamson's profiting off of it, then say, "Well, everything's got to be equal for everybody." That come on now. Now, I look. I think this is fine. The only question I will have for the NCAA before I let you go, EJ, is in terms of how are you going. I want to see how strict they are in terms of how these guys regulating, how these guys are getting paid. Because 
there are going to be a million ways to uh, to find loopholes, to manipulate this in ways in which you can still improperly game the system. For example, uh, I saw this, I believe, I want to say this was maybe Gary Parrish might have tweeted this, but he put out the example of if a banker from Durham, North Carolina, or Lexington, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, gave an endorsement deal for however much money, $2 million, a million dollars, whatever it is, to a Duke or Kentucky basketball player to come back to school. Maybe not to come back to school, but, you know, the idea is that he'll come back to school. Mm-hmm. How can you regulate that? Like, like you're, saying, you, you're saying that should be, so that should not be allowed. Like, that would be it, corruption. I mean, like, I mean, I guess it could be allowed. Like, why not? In theory, but it's just like, and then how do you regulate? What if guys want to transfer? Is it tampering? You know, like, mm. what if a guy transfers because like a random, you know, company with FedEx, or what if you know, what's a what's a company that's like so aligned with like a certain city? Like, like yeah. FedEx is like a Memphis. Right. City. It's a Memphis corporation. What if FedEx gives some guy an endorsement deal and the guy ends up transferring to Memphis? Well, I have seen, uh, obviously, being a Miami Hurricanes fan, a lot of Miami fans are really excited about this deal because Miami being a major market, the the opportunity to make money off the field are immense. I would argue right. that. that, that, that I would argue that, if, if you're a St. John's basketball fan, you should be possibly potentially excited because the opportunity to make money in New York City. USC. USC, UCLA. UCLA. I think that some of these middle of nowhere places it might be a little different for them. But then at the same years. time, that person that goes to Duke or Kentucky or Kansas is going to be a celebrity versus someone that goes to St. John's. While yet being in New York is great, and I'll say like for a basketball player or a star, be incredible. But like being an average, being like a normal player at St. John's. I would argue for the. I, mean, I would argue. I'd argue for the the bluest of blue bloods. That's not as big an issue, right? I think for everyone else, it might be. Right. If you're in Tempe, if you're, Arizona. If you're, if you're yeah, or yeah, if you're <laughs> Arizona, Arizona or Arizona State, you're West Virginia. Right. Well, how much bread are you making off the court in West Virginia, or off the field in West Virginia? If I had the biggest choice, still team, the only game I had a choice, I have a choice between, between pl- making money off the court in West Virginia or St. John's. I know what school I'm picking. It's not even a debate or a question. If I had a decision to make between Miami and uh, South Carolina, then, you know that might be a decision in football. As sad as that may sound, but right today with the way Miami is, that that that's like a that's not a easy decision. I think with this ruling, I think that decision becomes a lot more clear if I got deals lined up. Like, if you're a school in a major city with a big marketing appeal, it's a good day for you. I think. Now, I, I think if you're Duke, the money's going to be there. If you're Kansas, the money's going to be there. If you're in football, it's Alabama, the money's going to be there. Notre Dame, the money's going to be there. You have to worry about what city you're in. But I think, again, everyone else, the teams right below that level, I think that the, the, it might impact some kids because it's like 
the kids have made it clear that you know a lot of these they're, they're, a lot of these people are coming from starving situations. They can't afford not to take that bread. So they can do it legally and get more from bigger cities potentially. I think you might see it happen. The one guy who probably deserves a shout out, but I will never give that guy a shout out is Ed O'Bannon. <laughs> That's all I'll say. No, nah, yeah, he's not gonna get a shout out on this show. Um, yeah. And there are some people like all oh, you know, get out of here, salty video game fans. Ed O'Bannon did a great job. I'm like, nah. Nah. We wouldn't he, uh, he, he, may, he may have done a great job. I ain't gonna acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's someone else could do that. I'll let someone I, else. I don't got someone else's job, man. I don't gotta acknowledge it. These lean, these lean years I had, these lean decade I had, not having college sports video games. Let let someone else uh, sing his praises. It ain't gonna be on New Generation Hero Talk, Sports Talk. I'll say that much. So, uh, can let's quickly go through who's flames and who's trash. So I'll start first with flames. Uh, I'm gonna go with the combat sports industry. Uh, I'm going go to combat sports industry because I thought that they came up with a really smart decision this uh, uh, this weekend. So, of course, there are two uh, major events happening. We got Canel Alvarez versus Sergey Kovalov um, in boxing. And in UFC, you have UFC 244. That includes uh, Nate Diaz versus Jorge Massividal, I want to say. I'm not sure. Massividal. There you go. Um and these are two high-profile fights. Uh, Nate Diaz is one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Canelo Alvarez is, I, I think you can make the case, he may be the biggest star in boxing. Am I forgetting someone? Obviously, assuming Floyd Mayweather is retired. I, I think that's fair to say. Assuming yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a he's face. He's the biggest draw. So, um, And Mazzy Dahl, I believe, is actually favored in the, the Diaz fight. So Yes. The huge bout. Yes. So this is, and Sergey Kovalov is a, has been a world champion. He's a... A tremendous fighter. So these are two high, big profile fights, uh, especially for people who are big combat sports fans, and they were gonna have a big decision to make. But they came to the decision that uh, the 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 Canelo fight won't start until the main event wraps in UFC. And this is just nice to see two somewhat rival sports playing nice in a way that helps the fans. There will be fans who want to watch both, and I think that this is awesome that that they decided to to to, to come to an agreement to to start one after the other, and it's going to make for a, a awesome combat sports night. Um, obviously, both sports you know happen a lot of times on Saturday night, so it's not like it hasn't happened before. But I thought that was cool to see that they came to the decision. So combat sports, you get to be flames this week because you got a great weekend lined up, and uh, fans will have to make a tough decision about whether to choose Canelo. And Kovala versus Masvidal and Diaz. Yeah, yeah, that should be fun. Um, you know, <laughs> a lot, a lot of money. You know, assuming assuming you're you're using a uh, legal. Uh, I mean, method. You, I don't know why you wouldn't be. It's legal now in America, so isn't it legal all all across America at this point? Or am well, I lying about that? Betting is not legal. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it is. Well, I mean, all across America, not necessarily. But uh, I mean, state by state, still. Well, I, I showed I you how much I know nothing about. Betting. I, th- I think it is. For <laughs> anyone who's like, is he saying the like, betting game? Clearly, there are. Yeah, there are states now. that don't have. I don't know. But regardless, 
I was talking, uh, you know, just in terms of the pay per view. Oh, right. right. <laughs> um, you're in a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm going. To, I'm going. Like, that's why you said legally. I was like, what do you mean? Is, is it now illegal to illegally stream uh, fights? Um, yeah. So that should be fun. Um, I, I don't know if I'll be watching. Uh, you know, legally. Um, uh, I will be watch. I will not be watching. Well, we have ESPN Plus, so you can watch the Diaz fight legally. Right, right exactly. What you do with Canelo is, is yeah, I'll be, yo, to be said. I'll be following that on, on you know, the updates <laughs> on ESPN.com, man. Following that on Twitter. <laughs> um, what's my flame, DJ? I don't even remember. Uh, uh, that's funny. That's how late we do in this podcast. Uh, you did Scoops Callahan. Scoops Callahan. So that's a funny story. All right, so... Um, so Scoops Callahan, people are probably wondering who is Scoops Callahan. I've never heard of him, so I'm very curious about this. <laughs> I, I I had the same I had the same question myself, EJ. Um, but it came I it, this came to light to me. Uh, so the Mavericks are playing the Lakers. Uh, actually tonight. It's in overtime. Yeah, it's actually in overtime right now. Um, but during the shoot around, uh, LeBron uh, was asked. Um, by a reporter uh, about how the Lakers are going to stop uh, Luka Doncic's uh, razzmatazz hop skiddily do is the way he, he phrased it. And LeBron, like, I don't know, I don't know what we're going to do about the razzmatazz skiddily bop or whatever you said, but you know he's a great player, and we're going to have to stop him and Porzingis and two great talents, or whatever. Uh, obviously, it's a very hilarious exchange because the guy asked this question. Uh, cold, cold blank, like very normally, like. But when you do more research, you find out that this guy's name is Scoops Callahan, and his gimmick is that he goes around to Dallas area press conferences and asks sports figures like questions in nineteen in in the nineteen twenties style <laughs> reporter. <laughs> so like. <laughs> <laughs> there are sound bites of him with uh, Phil Jackson, you know, Greg Popovich, Bill, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and their reaction to his questions are some of the most ridiculous. It's some of the, one of the funniest things I've ever watched. So I had to I had to give him a shout out um, for some of the things that he's asked these guys throughout the year. David Beckham, I never even heard of this guy, but I had to give him a shout out so that all the listeners can go and check out Scoops Callahan. Uh, on YouTube, you'll find him because um, his videos are hilarious. But I just saw the videos of him talking to Belichick and Brady. It might be the only, it might be the only time Belichick is half smiled. Yeah, Belichick even like, that's funny because <laughs> like it takes them a while to like realize like what? this is obviously a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, and then they're like, oh yeah, this guy's this guy's a clown. <laughs> Oh man! And then some of the guys, Peyton Manning, like saw the guy's face <laughs> once he started talking. Like, don't let this guy ask me a question. <laughs> I'm not answering for this guy. <laughs> oh, Shout out to Scoots Callahan, yo! You think LeBron we get, like think we LeBron get had on, on the podcast? Yeah, I know we have to look into getting Scoots Callahan. I don't know if we'll understand half the stuff he's talking about, but it still would be hella fun. Oh yeah, exactly. Shout out to LeBron for having like the best response to yeah him, anybody like he 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 answered the question it shows you how media trained lebron uh, is. it is yeah you can have some guy ask the most ridiculous thing he he 
still gives a legitimate response. Yeah. He didn't just laugh and look it off and be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. LeBron is, is, yeah, he's been that way since he was a teenager. His growth and he is very, very media trained, no question. Um, trash, real quick, I got to give it to the New York Jets. Um, it's like, I, it's like, it's, I've said this before on the show, but man, this is one of the most embarrassing weeks I've, I've had as a Jets fan. And that's saying a lot because I've said that a lot during my lifetime. But uh, the team, you know, one and six, they had another disastrous performance against the Jaguars, which meant that this week, considering they're out of a playoff race, considering they have a lot of high-priced veterans that have not performed, there's going to be a potential fire sale. And among the people uh, who were apparently up for uh, possibly being on the trade block were Le'Veon Bell, um, Robbie Anderson, Leonard Williams, who actually was traded you know, which he doesn't have to go anywhere. Good for him. He's he's going to the Giants. He doesn't have to change addresses or anything. He's playing in the same building. Uh, Leonard Williams actually did get dealt, and uh, the last guy was indeed Jamal Adams. And if you know, you don't understand the kind of caliber player Jamal Adams is. Uh, he's a young he's a young player, only I believe in his third year, but he's already one of the best safeties in the NFL. Truly a a, a kind of game breaking type of player potentially. He's just on such a terrible defense. He can't make any real impact. Um, but he was on the trading block. And apparently uh, Dallas had made uh, efforts to try to bring him in. Dallas is apparently very interested in him. And this did not make him happy. Uh, he went on Twitter, uh, especially after, uh, you know, there were a lot of reports. Ryan Clark saying that he spoke to him and that he said he wanted to be in Dallas. There were other reports saying that, you know, he was fine with being in Dallas and that he was hoping for a trade. He came out on Twitter, you know, vociferously denying that he ever wanted to be traded from New York and then proceeded to throw the team under the bus saying that, you know, the GM and the coach went behind his back and tried to trade him and try to ship him out, um, even though he had spoke to them earlier in the week and said that he did not want to be traded. Uh, you know, we've seen kind of all I'm about it. So you think that he did not tell them that he wanted to be traded? No. What, what don't you buy? You don't, you think that that conversation never happened? I mean, the conversation may have happened, but you think he, he also did want to be traded? I, I I don't think he he didn't carry himself necessarily like a guy that was dying to be a Jet. No, he did <laughs> and, not. And so, even if you say, even if you don't ask for a trade, even if you may even say, I you know I have no problem being in New York. I want to be in New York. There's a difference between like there's a way you can conduct yourself to suggest that you want to be the guy there. Um, and then also, like, I don't believe that the team told him that they weren't going to trade him. I don't know if he said that, but essentially, that, if they didn't say I that, don't know if he said that, which is why the, this whole thing is kind of fishy. I don't, like, I, I, I could put, I have right. to pull up his thing again, but I don't think he ever said that the team it told kinda him. It kind of is implied. He just said that I don't want to be traded, and I guess he assumed that that meant they weren't going to trade him. Which, right, exactly. I don't think there's anything snake in there unless they said, well, if you want to be here, you're not going anywhere. Look, if Jermaine Johnson went to the organization and said, I don't want to be traded, trust me, they would not listen to him or give a damn about what he said. Like you, yeah, exactly. you declaring, I officially don't want to be traded, doesn't mean that they won't trade you. So here's the thing. Um, the Jets are a clown show. Uh, they're a complete mess. They have no direction. They have high-priced veterans that were signed by a totally different GM who then was fired because the coach didn't want them. And now you have a new GM who seems to be 
working either in tandem or perhaps even under the current coach who can't coach his way out of a paper bag. It's a mess. And and thank God for a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who has shown an unbelievable leadership during this disastrous season that he's had and the team has had, through really no fault of his own. It's just a terribly constructed roster. They have, uh, the, like, uh, I forgot, Woody, Damian Woody said it best. Um, they're, they're in three areas where you need to be great. The Jets are arguably the worst. Offensive line, pass rush, cornerbacks. The cornerbacks can't cover anybody. They can't block anybody. And, um, and, and, and you know, they're, they're one of the worst when it comes to generating any kind of pass rush. So they're going to be terrible, which is why Joe Douglas and the front office wanted to make a deal. Now, I think it's insane and terrible that the front office could be firmly behind uh, Adam Gase and think that getting rid of someone like Jamal Adams is going to help with that cause. That seems, it just seems not fair because how great Jamal Adams is, how the, the passion he plays with. It is the fact that Gase is the guy that's like he's going to be fine and Adams is the guy we're worried about in terms of him being shipped. It seems just not fair as a sports fan. However, Jamal Adams has just conducted himself just like a clown. Um, He's coming out the next day saying, look, man, uh, the Packers ain't shopping around Aaron Rodgers. The the, the, the Patriots are, oh, shop, are, shop, are shopping around Tom Brady. And the Rams aren't like, shopping around Aaron, Aaron Donald. To J- quote, J- to Jamal, quote the, J- Jamal Adams is a stud, but come on now, man. To, to quote the great Mike Francesa, the only thing Jamal Adams has in common with those three players is they both wear helmets. Yo, honestly, like that 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 deserves an EJ uh, relax. <laughs> well, it, well, it's not an EJ relax. It's a mall relax from the Jordan right. podcast. I can't take malls right. relax. I say it a lot off air because <laughs> I think it's funny, but I can't I can't take that from mall. That is but, a that, that deserves a very very strong. That's just a full mall relax <laughs> for sure. He said <laughs> Tom Brady doesn't get shopped around, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't get shopped around. So why Those two guys have rings. <laughs> Aaron Donald's only been the best defensive player in the league for the last three, four years. So. Aaron Donald might be the best defensive lineman since Reggie White. And that's, not, and, that, and that's not hyperbole. That's not even that strong a statement. Yeah, that's that's not. I didn't say anything crazy. That that's 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 that very well could be true. And Jamal Adams made has made one Pro Bowl and has never won anything. He's been on defenses that I don't think have ever been ranked in the top half of the NFL. I think Jamal Adams is a great player. He's, he's my favorite player currently on the Jets. But this was just crazy. There's a reason he didn't get traded. It wasn't because the Jets weren't willing to trade him. It was because nobody was Cowboys weren't willing to match what the Jets wanted. Yeah. So clearly, and the, the Jets didn't want more than what the Jaguars wanted for Jalen Ramsey. They, in fact, they wanted a little bit less and. Makes sense. He's not. I look. I think I would have given up what Jalen Ramsey got in theory. Like I don't know if I would have given up what I what Jalen Ramsey got in general, but like because Adams is cheaper and signed for the next couple of years, I I think I value him as much as I value Jalen Ramsey. But he's also not a corner, so and he's not as proven as Jalen Ramsey, so. I don't know, I, but that situation is a, was a mess. Is a mess. 
some I mean, I think I heard Boomer Esiason was comparing Darnold now to James Winston uh in terms of the turnovers and I mean he had the so awful they, game against New England, obviously, but also did not look good this week. I feel like this season with Darnold is the Ben Roethlisberger appendectomy crash rape allegation season. Obviously, Darnold has done anything off the field. But I just think this is a lost year. I'm not going to freak out or panic about it. I just I, I, I think that he probably would have played fairly well if it wasn't for the mono situation. And I just think he's going to be off. I think it's going to take him a while to get back. And this is what we and he's playing on just a god awful team that has no pass rush, no real game breakers on the outside. It, it, like I just think I, I'm not as I'm not I don't think that this is a James Winston situation. I do think he's playing poorly. He's he had he had a couple of bad breaks last week where I thought the Jaguar defenders made some great plays on ball. They were terrible throws, but throws that maybe wouldn't have been picked off with guys with worse hands and the guys making diving catches for interceptions and. And, and, you know, plays that maybe would have been normally a clean sheet for him turned into a three-interception game. The Patriot game was god-awful. Last week, I want to see how he plays the rest of the season before I really start fully freaking out. But, yeah, this to me reminds me of Ben Osberger after he got into the car crash and had the appendectomy. He did get in a car crash, right? I'm not making that up. Uh, like, it, was a, it was a motorcycle crash, right? Did he break his Yeah, I think it was a motorcycle. Yeah. I, was say, I don't remember a car. Yeah, was, yeah, motorcycle crash. He, he he had an appendectomy situation. I believe that was the same year he had the rape allegations. And he just had a terrible start to the season. And he never never figured it out. And then he, now he, he won more. I think he ended up winning maybe one more Super Bowl. Or he would end up going to the Super Bowl. He's had a great career. So I think Darnold will be fine. But, yeah, it's been bad. No question. Uh, what's your uh, what's your uh, uh, trash this week? Trash this week. Uh, I had Duke. Um, I don't have really much bones to pick with Duke as much as I want to give credit. I almost have two flames essentially. I want to give credit to Northwest Missouri State. Um, and you may be wondering what is Northwest Missouri State? Sounds like a made up college from a from a a, a Judd Apatow movie, <laughs> but. Um, no, this is, uh, this is actually, uh, the division two national champs, Northwest Missouri state in 2019, as well as 2017. Um, they played an exhibition game against Duke, uh, who was, who was trashed this week because, because they, in that exhibition, they actually, they won, they didn't lose. So, you know, you can breathe your sigh of relief if you're coach K, if you're, uh, every Duke fan out there, part of the brotherhood, as they like to call themselves, um, or the camera crazies. Uh, but they only won that game by six points. Um, not a great performance. Final score was 69 to 63. Duke's the number four team in the country. And the best player on the floor was, I don't even know the kid's name, um, kid, some kid named Hudgens, <laughs> but <laughs> a point guard. The, the the point guard for Northwest Missouri State, kid's only a redshirt sophomore, but uh, dropped 27 points in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Um, one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen. I guess Trey Jones, of all people, one of the best point guard defenders I've seen at the college basketball level uh, in my time watching college basketball. So uh, credit to them. Um, if, I'm, if I'm Duke, I mean, they, they bounced back in their second exhibition. They won by, like... 80 points or whatever so you know you don't want to panic 
but they also played Kansas on Tuesday. So, you know, you want to if they're gonna if there's any time to wake up, it's about it's about now. You know, maybe that was a good wake up call for that team, but they honestly had the same exact problems they had last year, where they just can't shoot the basketball to save their life. And when you don't have Zion anymore, you know, or R.J. Barrett, you really won't have nearly as much easy points as you did last year. So they had trouble scoring the basketball, which is why a team from the northwest side of Missouri <laughs> can give them trouble. You know, and, I mean, I, again, you, again, you don't want to panic in an exhibition game, but um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel too hot about this Duke team if I was if I was a fan. You know, Matthew Hurt looked great. Vernon Carey had his struggles. Certainly, I think he only played like five, six minutes in that game, even though he started, which was a red flag in his own right. But Trey Jones had some had his up and downs. But um, but no, nah, yeah, I would I I wouldn't feel great about this Duke team. Yeah, I think I mean it's exhibition, but this I don't think this Duke team is that good. <laughs> Um, I feel like this college basketball season is kind of the, the top four teams who will be playing in Mad Square Garden next week. They're, they're the top four teams right now, but I, I think by the time we get to March or deep into the season, there are going to be other teams that are going to emerge. I don't think this is going to be your... <coughs> <That's chalk. it. laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I don't expect this to be your typical chalk. I think Michigan State will be there. I think the other three teams, if they if those teams end up being one of those teams that be out of the top twenty five, it wouldn't shock me. Seriously, I think that well, I think that there are they are teams that have a lot of talent, but also have a lot of question marks. And Duke is not different. Yeah, Duke's very beatable. Absolutely, all these teams are beatable. I mean, that's why I was. Yeah, exactly. Michigan State's got is, is very injured, and they honestly weren't that great last year. They just bringing a lot of guys back. Yeah, from a team that was okay. Right, they got to the final four. They got hot at the right time, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's always the typical remedy for like or recipe for, you know, a team that's going to be a preseason top five team. But they're not the typical juggernaut in a preseason number one. Kentucky, they're preseason number two, but this isn't the greatest recruiting class they've ever had. No. <laughs> you know, it's not not really that great for a Calipari standard. And you know, they're bringing back guys, but they're not bringing back really the guys that were any good. <laughs> Uh, like Tyler Hero, Kelvin Johnson, so Ashton Hagens though could have a big year. Yeah, Ashton Hagens was pretty decent. You know, he's a great defensive player. You know, bring back Emmanuel quickly. They got some. They got guys, but uh, I mean, I, I think that the team that wins the national championship will not be in that top four. I'm gonna say that right now. Yeah, That's I would a bold, a bold prediction. Um, you know, there are teams like like I think Gonzaga. I don't know what the guard situation is. It's 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 a wreck, but I mean their front court is just as talented as any team in the country. Um, you know, I think Florida's got talent. You know, I, Virginia loses a lot of guys, but the one thing I can trust with Virginia is that their system you're always going to win games. Um, I think Villanova is going to be much better than they were last year. So, and and I mentioned Memphis, but talent wise on paper. I think they're just as good as any of those teams. It's just... I, I think I think Louisville is going to be dangerous this year too. I mean, they're they're ranked number five right now, so it's not like they're a sleeper. But yeah, they, also they, I think they they need a year to kind of figure out Max system, but they're bringing back really a lot of talent. Yeah, and then seeing Hall and Marquette 
you know, two teams in the Big East, but Miles Powell and Marcus Howard are probably the two best players in the country. So if one of those teams, like, is just dominant all year because those guys are dominant, I would lean Seton Hall mm-hmm. if I were picking one of those two teams. But, yeah, it's a crapshoot. But Duke is – don't expect – you know, Zion Williamson's not walking through that door this year. Neither is Jason Tatum. Brandon Ingram, R.J. Barrett, R.J. Barrett, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> the list goes on and on. Uh, this would be probably a down year for the Brotherhood. Let's wrap it up, Kendall. What's going to be Kendall's court this week? All right, so Kendall's court this week. Um, I want to talk a little bit of college football. We didn't talk college football uh, last week, um, and we haven't talked about it this week uh, as part of the rundown, but... You know, we're coming up on on a kind of a slower week in college football. The only real uh, earth-shattering matchup is going to be the Florida-Georgia game out in Jacksonville. Uh, Why don't they call it the world's largest cocktail party anymore? I hate that they got rid of that. That was one of the best nicknames for a rivalry. Probably. I mean, I I know why, but it's just (laughs) people who drink alcohol at football games, get over it. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm like I don't know like I I I just feel like it just seemed like I don't know I don't like that they call the Red River rivalry the Red River Red River shootout. Well, no, they call it the shootout again. They they've been calling it the shootout. That's what it should. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's been. Okay. They, they got they they stopped the shootout word because they said it was you know promoting gun violence. Right. Yeah. 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 They were calling it ridiculous. Oh, they changed the AT and T Red River Shootout, and I was like, "This is bugging me out." See, yeah, yeah, youngin, because you, <laughs> yeah, you grew up in the days when it was still the, it was a rivalry. Right, you know, it's supposed to be the Red River Shootout. That's what it's always been. But by the way, the yeah. best the best rivalry nickname is Clean Old Fashioned Hate, which I believe is uh, Georgia Tech in Georgia. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the the one of the one of the best rivalries in college football. It's the best back. rivalry nickname. The rivalry is pretty one sided. <laughs> Georgia and Georgia Tech, man. Those games would be legendary. <laughs> um, yeah, nah. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to talk about college football more because I wanted to discuss this top 25, which is very much in flux. Uh, we got in the top five, five undefeated teams. Penn State's in there. They haven't really played anybody. I mean, they beat Michigan, which was a nice one, I guess. Um, but the real, the real test will come. Most people would say the real test will come uh, when they play Ohio State. Uh, I will say the real test will come next week when they go to Minneapolis to play the Minnesota Gophers, Golden Gophers, who are uh, ranked 13th and are also undefeated. And I watched this team last week, EJ, against Maryland, and they won, I don't know, 52 to like 10 or something like that. They were up 52 to 3 when I was watching. And... I couldn't believe what I was seeing in terms of like similar to that same feeling I mentioned with the Nationals. Like, well, the Nationals are good. Like, watching Minnesota just beat down on any team in in conference is something I've never seen before. And one one I, I want to say I felt old because the best player in their defense, who might be the best safety in college football, is Antoine Winfield Jr. Which I was like, <laughs> as a Vikings fan, I, I understand why he went to Minnesota, but Antoine Winfield Jr. is playing. Yeah, man. 
Marvin Harrison Jr. just committed to Ohio State. <laughs> I saw that. Yo, I saw yo, I saw Marvin Harrison trending, and he's <laughs> yo, sad, dude. but I couldn't help but think, yo, man, what did he do? Yeah, the joke was like, yo, everybody hide you. Marvin Harrison trending. Yo, I saw somebody tweet. I saw Marvin Harrison trending and called to check on my family. Yeah, yeah I saw. Yeah, that was in the, that was essentially the running joke. <laughs> We, you know, we, 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 I don't want to say we love Marvin Harrison, new generation, but, you know, we respect Marvin Harrison. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got plenty of love for Marvin Harrison. Definitely, yeah, he, definitely don't want no smoke with Marvin Harrison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Minnesota is number, ranked number 13, but not just them. You got Utah at number nine as a strong playoff contender. And look, I was one to say I thought Utah was overrated this year. They had a quick loss early in the year to USC, but they've played great football. Since then, uh, Baylor undefeated at number twelve. I think a serious contender to make to make the playoff if they can beat Oklahoma, whenever that is. Um, Matt Rule, the job he's done there. Um, SMU's undefeated. I don't think they have a shot just because of the conference they're in. But Appalachian State undefeated at twenty. It's just, and you look at the teams. From 17 to 25, you have, to, you have Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Iowa, Appalachian State, Boise, Kansas State, Wake Forest, Memphis, San Diego State. Besides Wisconsin and Iowa, all small schools, essentially. I mean, Kansas State, Wake Forest are in Power 5 conferences, but they're at the bottom of those conferences. Well, the conference play in a lot of these bigger conferences has been terrible. I mean, I mean, we watched the ACC every week, and I mean, Miami was just beat Pitt on the road. I mean, Pitt was where's the like SEC? Really well. The SEC is awful. All these conferences are awful. There, there aren't a lot of very good teams. It's, the SEC's got what four teams in the or the five teams in the top eleven: Auburn, Georgia, Florida. That's that's pretty good, but the rest of the conference is is just is awful. Like they don't have. Like just beat up on each other, yeah. Yeah. Now you you after after you get to those teams, now it's Missouri and Texas A and M. Those are the only other teams with winning records. Where are the blue bloods? I'm used to looking at a top twenty five and seeing USC, Texas, A and M, you know, Miami, Florida State. Like the conference play, teams are just beating up on each other, nobody's establishing themselves. The teams also, that play, the teams that played well in conference play have played well in non haven't played well in non conference. So a team like USC is four one in conference and beat Utah, but they're five and three overall because their non conference was terrible. Like it's what, what clown what, what clown media member gave Pitt a, a, a vote? It's not twenty five. They must have snoozed during that uh, Miami game. They, they, <laughs> they saw Pitt take the lead and they're like, all right, yeah, they probably they won that game. Let's, let's, yeah, let's yeah, right. in. I'm like, how we get a vote? I was losing Miami. Yeah, you lose to my, you losing to Manny Diaz's 2019 Miami Hurricanes at home. Something's wrong with you, man. Because Miami, they give you games every week. So if you can't finish them at home, I don't know but what to say. I just had to give this a shout out because this is a bizarre top 25. Don't be surprised if there is a very bizarre team in the playoffs this year. Uh, where, we're, where we're looking and we're like, man, Alabama's going to crush this team by 40. How'd they even make it? I think the only reason why I pause is because there's still five undefeated teams and there are a lot of one-loss teams. And besides Utah, none of them are, like, super weird. Oregon is playing better than maybe I think some people expected. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't think they would survive their early tough schedule, and they only had they, they pretty much came out and escaped besides the first like, loss. 
But everyone else, I mean, because you look, you have, at to the, go, you have to go to Baylor before you start getting to the oddball teams. But the, if those teams at the top finish out okay, I think we'll still be fine. Because if you do the math, look, Alabama and LSU are going to beat each other up. That's One of those lost, teams, at least, is going to going to have a loss, but still be in the race. It'll probably still be a top six team. Ohio State could run the table, but Ohio State and Penn State are going to beat each other up. That's the one of those teams. Where's right, team, whatever team loss. that game is out. And Florida, then Clemson Florida will probably. Georgia, one of those teams will have another loss. That'll be two. Yeah, they will certainly be out. And then Alabama, LSU, like these teams, all these teams are still going to play each other. Oregon's still going to play Utah. Hmm. Oklahoma pretty much controls its own destiny, even though they're all the way down at 10. But Oklahoma, you know, they're down at 10 and they control their own destiny. They 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 have to play Baylor and they might play them again. Yeah, they might have to play them twice. Yeah, if Baylor beats them twice, I would almost guarantee. Yeah, they're, they're done. That's three losses. Just, well, yeah, I, don't, I was gonna say I guarantee Baylor gets in the in the playoff. Oh, I would agree with that. Either they're on the table. Even like, they control their I'd, own destiny to get to the playoff. I'd argue even if Baylor slips up and beats Oklahoma twice, they will get in. Assuming they're because oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're gonna be losses. You just said LSU's gonna LSU or Alabama are gonna lose at least one game. Ohio State or Penn State are gonna lose at least one game. The only team that appears like they won't have any issue is Clemson. Right. Everyone everyone else, there's a potential loss on their schedule or a, a guaranteed loss on their schedule. So I, I think the only issue is that because so many teams have these situations, I don't know if some of these other teams are going to eyeball teams are going to jump over them because there's so many teams they have to jump over. And Every- Minnesota controls their own destiny. Like, these teams are ranked low because, I mean, because they, they we, it's still, we have to see it to believe it. But, like, in reality, they're, like, they have just as much of a shot to make it as Alabama does. Mm. You know, if they, if they win all their games, which seems improbable. It's improbable that Baylor would beat Oklahoma or that Minnesota would beat Penn State and Ohio State, which is what they'd have to do more than likely. But or beat Penn State twice. But if they were to do that, and again, what if Minnesota loses to Penn State next week in a heartbreaker, but then beats Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, and they're a one-loss Big Ten champion? Facing a one-loss Ohio State team that they just beat. <laughs> I don't know, man. So it sets up for a very fascinating uh, selection Sunday in college football, which is almost never fascinating, but um, should be fun. Yep, I think so. And I think that's going to be it, it for this week's uh, Sports Talk podcast. So I really want to thank you guys for listening in. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, there's a late night version of <laughs> sports talk. If you guys I don't know, we recorded this well close to one a.m. at this point. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed it. We are certainly had fun recording it. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media, New Generation Pod on Twitter, New Generation Podcast on uh, Instagram, and New Generation Media on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. That does it for now. Thank you guys so much for listening. And once again, we'll be back next week with more sports talk with Kendall. I'm EJ. Peace.